Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, hello once again, Covenant family, Pastor Joel here, welcoming you to the third and final special edition of the Covenant podcast. I hope you've enjoyed uh, these times together. Uh, We decided to add these in July, just three additional uh, special editions of the podcast to complement the the sermons that you hear uh, on this same channel uh, every single week. And we did that because, well, we're in the middle of a series called Ask Anything Summer, and you guys asked far more questions than there were Sundays to ask ask to answer those questions in. And so um, we're just we're just happy to, to be a part of that and be a part of that discussion to answer some of these questions. So whether this uh, whether my voice finds you in your car or on the train with earbuds in, getting a run, whatever that means, uh, I hope you're having a great summer. We've had some great subjects. Uh, we've had questions about biblical prophecy and Third Temple uh, Judaism. We've had questions about the role of women. We've had questions about sovereignty and freedom and the problem of evil and the Holy Spirit and what he does and doesn't do and how we practice and apply those teachings uh, here at Covenant. This last one is might be a little controversial. I'm not entirely sure, uh, but we did get a lot of church and state kinds of questions from many of you, uh, and many of them surrounded this, um, this new kind of term that has arisen, uh, and the term is Christian nationalism. Uh, what does it mean? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, and so it really, honestly, when I said that, I, I probably triggered some of you in a very positive way and others of you in a very negative way. We have a politically diverse congregation, so some of you probably heard that and went, well, absolutely, why in the world would we want to be a Christian nation? God bless America and all that good stuff. And then, and then some of you who maybe lean more progressive are saying, oh my goodness, we don't want anything to do with anything like that. Uh, and I always think when, especially when there's a term that instantaneously polarizes a population, maybe the first thing that would be in order is for us to talk about what we're talking about. So let's, let's get into definitions here for just a moment, because there are some extremes out there that are not very helpful. On the right, uh, there's a lot of red, white, and blue that, frankly, on the far right, can be used just to promote a lot of hatred. But then on the left, they think, well, maybe we ought to just dispose of the red, white, and blue. Um, and so and a lot of that is under this, this rubric of, well, what we think of nationalism. So first off, I want to tell you, there are actually different types of nationalism. Nationalism has, uh, well, many forms. And I want to give you four of them here just at the outset of our time together. The first is civic nationalism. Now, civic nationalism actually has another term that I think is an appropriate way to describe it. It's just called patriotism. And patriotism is just love of country. And that's all that it is. And you can be a Republican and love your country. And you can be a Democrat and love your country. And you you can want what is best for your country and your nation. And you can see the red, white, and blue at a baseball game. Or even if you come to my house, you'll see it hanging off my back deck. Uh, And you can be grateful that you live in the country that you live in. Not only is there nothing wrong with that, but actually 
Uh, I think there's room for understanding the scriptures to teach that it's a good thing for someone to be a civic nationalist. Even when they were exiled in Babylon, uh, the Lord said to Israel in Jeremiah 29, it is in the welfare of the people you're living in, the country that you're living in, uh, that you'll find your own welfare. So why wouldn't we, because we believe in the image of God and we believe in in loving our neighbor, also love the country that we all share and love it in such a way that we might all want to make it better, even in those times when maybe we'd have different ideas uh, about what that looks like. I have a friend who pastors a church in Tallahassee, Florida, and he was telling me the other day, he said, you know, I don't want to worship America. He said, but I did find out the other day that my child, he's got a middle school, a, a middle school age son. He said he is one of the 20% of students who will now stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, again, you're going to have some people that are in religious traditions that don't believe they should do that, and that needs to be respected. That's that's not who I'm talking about. I'm just talking about people who've been taught that, you know, you, you shouldn't do this. This is wrong. This is, you know, you're, or you're bowing to some kind of oppressive power uh, or something along those lines. Civic nationalism is simply patriotism and love of country. Uh, And I think you'll find here at Covenant uh, that we endorse that because we think it's healthy. If you don't have a healthy civil society, human beings aren't going to flourish. Neither those who are different from us nor those who are the same from us are going to flourish. We want a society that flourishes. And that's why we tell people, you need to pray for those in authority, the president, whoever he or she may be. You need to pray for Congress and our local leaders, even when they do things that you think are stupid and make you want to pull your hair out. You you need to be in prayer uh, for your leaders. That's all civic nationalism is. Now, there are three other types of nationalism. Uh, the second is economic nationalism. Now, uh, depending on your political persuasion, some of you would refer to economic nationalism as isolationism. Others of you like the idea, and you would simply call it protectionism. Uh, It's the whole, everything we do needs to be uh, about America first, and that means that we need to stop so much of the global trade that we're doing. Um, Economic nationalism is really a matter of Christian conscience. We're going to have different opinions about how to apply that, and that really is okay. Then there's the third category that we'll refer to as ethnic nationalism. Ethnic nationalism says we are a white European-based country with a white European culture and that this must be guarded at all costs. And honestly, folks, the nicest thing I can say about ethnic nationalism is that it's racism, which means it's wicked and it's evil. And it's nothing that a Christian ought to have anything to do with. But it's this final category that I I want us to kind of focus on. Because I I get the picture, people would say, well, what about the separation of church and state? And some of you wrote questions saying, well, should should the church really speak out on this issue or that issue if those issues are, are political in nature? A lot of that surrounds this last form, religious nationalism. Uh, Whether it be Christian nationalism or some other kind of nationalism, you know, around the world, if it's Pakistan, maybe it's Islamic nationalism. Um, But for us, since we're a majority Christian nation, uh, we would call it Christian nationalism. And religious nationalism is when faith is bound up with the country. Okay? Uh, Faith is bound up with the country. 
Uh, Paul D. Miller, who's actually a colleague of mine, has written an excellent book on this subject, uh, defines it this way. He says, Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Popularly, Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a Christian nation, not merely as an observation about American history, but as a prescriptive program for what America must continue to be in the future. And then he quotes scholars like Samuel Huntington and others who've made a similar argument that America is defined by its Anglo-Protestant past and that we will lose our identity and our freedoms if we do not preserve our cultural inheritance. So I want you to catch something in that definition. I want you to just be honest about the fear that's in that last one. If we don't preserve what we believe is the cultural inheritance of the United States of America, we don't just lose something of our religion, something of our faith. We're actually going to lose freedom. And um, if any kind of motivation is driven by fear, um, usually the, that motivation is going to end in something that's not very good. So let me, let me speak about this, uh, about the problems that I see uh, with the Christian nationalist movement. Now, let me segue that first by, by segregating it off from what we might call political conservatism. Being a political conservative doesn't make you a Christian nationalist, okay? And there's a lot of that running around the media today. You're anti-abortion? Oh, you must be a Christian nationalist. Oh, you think marriage is between a man and a woman? Oh, you must be a Christian nationalist. There's absolutely nothing wrong with leveraging uh, your faith in the public square, in public debate. If we, if we start limiting what people can say because it's informed by their faith, then we're basically limiting free speech, and that's about as un-American as it gets. Um, but here's the other side of that coin. Christian nationalism is not conservative. Um, it's just not. In fact, if you read many of the Christian nationalist scholars, they will admit to you that they're not conservative. They will say, um, we need to move in this direction because modern conservatism in America is dead, and that experiment has failed. And so what we need is a new civic order that is guided by the Word of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you're a preacher. How in the, why in the world would you be opposed to that? Because it does sound good on the surface, doesn't it? Like, who wouldn't want a society that, that would reflect even the millennial kingdom that's coming in the future where God's people would, uh, would rejoice with each other and righteousness would reign and our body of law is based in the Ten Commandments and, and all of these other things? Well, there are actually several problems with that. I'll begin with this one. This isn't heaven. This is earth. And not everybody believes the same things. And when it comes to loving our neighbors, obviously that should include that we share our faith with them in the hopes that they would come to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus and that even our culture would shift in that regard. Um, but we don't ever convert anybody by coercing them or forcing them uh, or placing laws on them that say they have to convert. And so I just that's, that's something we need to watch. We are not Israel. We are not ancient Israel. Uh, the United States, historically, philosophically, ideologically, from its beginning, uh, has, has been a lot more like Rome than like Israel. Now, that's not to say that we don't have a Christian heritage. We obviously do. The vast majority of our founding uh, documents, our, our founding 
the, the men who founded this country were, in fact, or at least claimed to be, followers of Jesus. But that's not the same thing to say that Christianity strongly influenced our country. It's not the same thing as to say that we are a Christian nation, not merely as observation, but this is our program for how we're going to operate with each other. Let me give you some, some problems with this that I think you need to, to look out for. Number one, Christian nationalism causes a conflation of faith and law. Right, so in the in the beginning, it probably sounds nice. Um, truthfully, and I'm not I'm not trying not to commit Godwin's uh, violate Godwin's law here about equating everybody to Hitler, but Adolf Hitler, frankly, comes to mind. Uh, it may surprise you to know that there were uh, resolutions by religious bodies here in the United States in the early 1930s praising Adolf Hitler, and you may wonder how in the world. Why would somebody do that? Well, because he shut down all the pornographic movie houses in Germany. Was that a good thing? I think it was. I think it was good for society, but what did it do? It caused people to take it a step further and say that this good measure or this good law, therefore, means that this man embodies a form of Christian faith that we need to codify into law, and they eventually did, and before they realized, you know what, what Hitler is doing is not resembling of Christianity at all. By that point, it was already too late. And nationalism on this front eventually does that. It conflates it. It, 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 it seems, you know, if, if Christian theology has to dictate all of our criminal law, crime and punishment, how exactly are we supposed to promote an atmosphere of grace and forgiveness? How do we do that? Uh, Christian nationalism has no ultimate answer for that. And since it's the church's role to demonstrate grace and acceptance, not, not acceptance of sin or lifestyle choices or things like that, but acceptance of individuals as created in the image of God and offering them the hope of redemption and giving them an opportunity to confess fully and freely and to believe in Jesus. If, if there's a jail sentence waiting on the other side of that confession, how on earth do we reach them? with the gospel that Jesus has called us to reach. Here's the second problem. It's the conflation of faith with political power. And we've seen a lot of this recently. We need a representative. We need somebody who's going to fight for us. We need somebody who's going to defend us. Brothers and sisters, I would just encourage you to think we already have someone who has done and continues to do all of that in the person and work of Jesus. And there's not a single fight that he wants us to win that we're going to lose and the question is, do we have faith? Do we have the kind of faith that will serve in the same way he did? Isaiah 53 says he came as a suffering servant. So this kingdom of God, this most powerful of kingdoms that will last forever, that has our King Jesus at the center of it, didn't come with a mighty army or a bunch of law or some fighter who told us he, we were going to get it done or that somehow we were going to force our understanding of morality on everybody else. It, it came from someone who suffered, and it was a moving thing that eventually moved the, the, the ancient world in large numbers uh, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when you coerce somebody to believe a certain way, you never really know if they ever believe it. Um, and as evangelical Christians, more particularly as a church that has, a, that has roots, deep roots, uh, in the Baptist tradition, uh, this was something our forebears fought tooth and nail for, religious liberty, not just for themselves, uh, but for everybody else, 
not because they felt, thought all roads lead to heaven or all moralities are correct, but because they understood that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord of the human conscience. Well, we believe that at Covenant. And so we have to really watch when our faith gets conflated, especially with political power. Uh, but the third issue is even more serious. It's the dilution of our faith. Uh, I remember one political speaker just a couple of years ago speaking at a, a conservative. I think it actually, some of you will know what this organization is. It was at CPAC. Uh, and he stood up and he said, I know some of you are great Christians, but this turn the other cheek stuff has gotten us nowhere. And people began to cheer. People began to rejoice. People began to get excited about this idea that somehow now this Christianity is going to get forwarded, not, not by the spirit of God, not by the proclamation of the gospel, not, not the way that Jesus said it would extend and be successful, but, but through the acquisition of, of political power. Uh, John warned God's people about this in Revelation. If you were with us last spring through our, as we move verse by verse through that apocalyptic vision that, that Jesus gave John, you remember me saying that actually the mark of the beast are those, uh, are, is going to be taken by those who are tempted toward the attraction and opulence of political power. Jesus is telling the first century church, you're on the margins, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth and the false prophet are going to try to mark you, and they're going to make that offer very attractive, and you need to say no to that because the margins are exactly where I want you. So here's my big fear about Christian nationalism in its proper form. Not that somehow we will dilute the United States of America or ruin the country we're in. What I fear is that the, that sort of grasping for political power will actually corrupt the Christian gospel. And that has eternal significance. Now, here's the fourth reason I think we have to be concerned about this. Every single time this has ever been tried in history, um, you know, there have been some political commentators that have said this about socialism, you know, uh, especially in its Soviet form. Everywhere it's ever been tried in history, it's failed. I, 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 you don't have to agree with me on this. I actually agree with them on that. As I look at history as a somewhat of an amateur student of history, I think that's accurate. Nowhere that socialism has ever been tried has it ever actually worked. I believe the same thing is true about Christian nationalism, although I think the consequences have been worse. And here's why. Because everywhere it's ever been tried, it has always led to persecution. Always. And not just of non-Christians. Of Christians who did not tow the party line and the government line that told them, this is the way you need to baptize. This is the way you need to structure yourself. This way. The chief victims of this in history, in the, especially in European history, are Baptists, the, the people that we come from at Covenant. They bore the brunt of persecution because they would not sprinkle water on their children because they didn't believe in doing that because they wanted to practice their faith in accordance with what they believed the scriptures taught. And that really is the, the fundamental failure of any kind of Christian nationalist movement is eventually you're going to say, well, Christian faith should run this country. The inevitable question that will eventually come is whose Christian faith are we talking about? I'm sitting in a room right now with three other guys, and all of us disagree about something. 
I don't know exactly what it is. We don't talk about that a lot. We, we tend to just have a good time with each other. But I bet you if we opened the Bible and talked about it long enough, we'd find something we disagree on. How far do you want to take that disagreement? Christian nationalism would take it to the courts, would take it to the legislature. Guys, that's not something we want. If for no other reason than the last and least qualified entity to do theology is the government. Can we just be honest about that? And so as we move forward and even talk about the, um, the, the measure of, of Christian influence on the country, uh, I want us to think about that. Now, some of you ask this question from a, a more progressive standpoint. And I, and I love my progressive brothers and sisters here at Covenant. I really do. You push up against this old boy and you challenge me. Uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, but but let, me, let me put to rest, hopefully, uh, a couple of what I think are, are well-intentioned uh, but false assumptions. All right. One is this idea, well, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's just... That's just not true. And if it is, why do we put people in jail for murder? Um, why do we put people in jail for stealing? It, it's because we believe those things are wrong. So you can legislate morality. Uh, you can do it. The question is, what, what kind of morality do you want to legislate? And I think that's a legitimate discussion. Like how deep into people's private lives do we really want to go? And, and what's the point beyond which their liberty actually ends up under threat, even though uh, that we may think that they are sinning. You know, people confess things to me all the time. I, I tell you, I know a lot of stuff I wish I didn't know uh, about people. And, and here's the thing I'm glad of. I'm thankful that uh, unless it's actually um, a serious crime, uh, like an assault or a sexual assault or something along those lines, that I'm not duty-bound uh, to report that because it gives me an opportunity uh, to minister to the heart and the soul of an individual. As long as they're not abusing or hurting another person, then we want to help them. And if we legislate morality to such an extent that the church is incapable of doing that, then we, we're not able to do it. That said, uh, there are some things that really ought to be against the law. I think we can all agree that murder ought to be one of those things. Stealing ought to be one of those things. Uh, here at Covenant, as a, as a church, we believe abortion ought to be one of those things. I know not everybody here agrees. Uh, thank you for hanging in there with us. Even though you don't, we love you. Uh, but we're all, we also don't shy away from those kinds of things. And so when we talk about Christian nationalism, we're not talking about that, okay? Christians are called to influence their culture for the better. Um, I worked on legislation when I was a denominational executive in Maryland alongside our Muslim friends that uh, actually it's called an asset forfeiture bill. What it did was it ensured that if someone was found guilty of human trafficking in the state of Maryland, that they would go to prison. And when they got out of prison, the house and the car and everything they owned that they had acquired on the backs of their slaves would be seized and taken from them. Why is that? Well, because we believe in justice and we believe in righteousness. That's a Christian value. And as I said, I did that alongside my Muslim friends. So this is not exclusively even a Christian thing. I wasn't trying to establish a state religion. I wasn't trying to tell people that they should believe theologically a certain thing. But I was trying to influence the state I lived in at the time for the good of all and most especially for the victims of human trafficking. So we, we simply, it, it's just not a healthy thing to say we, we should completely stay out of it. So where does that leave us? Well, 
That's the question, isn't it? And sometimes we are going to disagree as a, a Christian church, uh, as, as various and, and diverse members of this congregation about the, the right way to leverage our influence in the civil square. So I want to warn you about Christian nationalism. It is, I do believe, a, a rather dangerous movement, uh, not because they don't believe that they want for the best for the country, but honestly, because it's not Christian. And we're about promoting Christianity. And to do that, uh, there are some things we're going to have to reject, even as we seek to seek the welfare of our county, our city, our state, our nation, because I, I do think the Lord calls us to be civic nationalists, patriots. We need to love the place where God has put us. And we need to love the people in that place, all of them, whether they agree with us or not, whether they vote like us or not. And, and in extending that love, we need to offer them Christianity, not the political movement, but the crucified, resurrected Savior. Well, I hope this has been helpful. Like I say, always feel free to, to write us. Uh, you can actually get to me directly at Pastor Joel at covenant-mail.com. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, making these special editions. I want to thank Vince Vaughn and Troy Stengel, Mark DeStefanis, and Steve Cristiano for bearing with me uh, through producing these things. Uh, again, thank them when you see them on campus for the great work they do in getting this word out here so that you can listen to it on the train or in your car or home or wherever you are. And may the Lord bless you, Covenant family. We'll see you next time. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.